biggest games. The biggest events. Wow, the crowd is on their feet. The biggest stories. This is what you signed up for, Seth. I thought it was just in the game. Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. I'm Rachel Gu, and I'm joined by Christina on the desk today and Jacob on the phone. How are you guys doing? Um, Jacob, how are you? I'm doing okay. Um, yeah, currently stuck in traffic, which is why I'm on the phone. Um, but I'm, I'm okay. Uh, Hartford's a joy. So. Right. Well, before we dive into the podcast, um, I guess not many people know yet, but this will be Christina's final podcast. And I'm actually not sure if you're allowed to say anything about where you're, go- where you're going, but I mean, is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners? Uh, well, I wanted to say, uh, first of all, that it's been awesome being on this podcast. Rachel, you've been an amazing host. I've learned a lot from you. And of Thank course, you. Jacob, my extremely knowledgeable colleague as well. I feel like we've uh, we've done some great episodes here together, and I'm glad I had an outlet to uh, to give voice to my incredibly intense feelings about StarCraft and Smash and other things. For sure. um, I'm not going to talk about my next project just yet, but if you out there are interested in what I'm going to be doing, I will be announcing it in a little, and pretty soon. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at peanutsc. So uh, yeah, it's but it's it's been absolutely great, and I hope to at some point maybe come back and be a guest. Oh my god, we'll absolutely! See what yeah. I mean, when are we? Where are we going to get our StarCraft news without you, Christina? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I thought we could do something different this week, and this is something you actually brought up the first time we met each other, which is um, we talked a lot about esports and content creation. I mean, by virtue of most esports being on the internet. Most of our content are there for on on the internet, and I thought we could talk a little bit about the content that excites us, and even some of the content that's really inspired us to take this editorial side of um, our professions today. Um, but I guess before we dive into that, I want—I kind of want to talk a little bit about the content we used to create and our own experience um, in terms of making content creation. And starting with Jacob, um, it's weird because we've known each other for so long, but. I actually don't know how you got your start in reporting. Uh, yeah, so as, as Rachel mentioned, we've known uh, each other for a while. But so I first kind of started off uh, at the end of 2014 was my, my start in esports content creation. And uh, it started with basically just me reading a lot of the people that the listeners are pretty familiar with. And I would, I would imagine that our listeners uh, read their work as well. So people like Richard Lewis and uh, Thorin and Drexen and Kelsey Moser, Tyler Erzberger, uh, who's now my colleague. Um, and it was, it was a lot of content uh, in League of Legends that I consumed. And um, furthermore, like, you know, some of it, that was kind of right when Counter-Strike was picking up from, from a content perspective. And Super Smash Brothers had also had things from here and there, like Smash Board contributions. Um, so I'd kind of been in the dark with esports for a while. I had had a background in Call of Duty several years prior um, and the end of 2014, I got really ambitious and wanted to write about League of Legends, uh, and started writing feature pieces on kind of my opinion on roster moves as they were broken, uh, which is appropriate, I guess, since that's now kind of my, one of my very many fields of expertise. Um, so essentially I went from, you know, giving analysis on roster moves to breaking roster moves. And that started with me appearing actually on a talk show. Uh, as a call-in uh, for Richard Lewis's trash talk, 
And uh, afterwards, Richard followed me on Twitter, and him and I went back and forth, and he recommended that I approach Strexon and look and see if I could be a volunteer in Esports Heaven, um, which is Strexon's site. So I, yeah, I reached out, and that was kind of off to the races. And before I knew it, in four or five months' time with a lot of hard work, uh, I was at the Daily Dot, which is where I was all the way until coming to ESPN. Yeah, I feel like a lot of us have a very similar experience in that we started out our careers volunteering for free, which is not very uncommon in esports. And I mean, I personally started on Liquid Legends, like translating post-game interviews for the LPL and League of Legends. And but Christina, your entryway into esports was very different from ours. Uh, Yeah, so I would say my entry into gaming and uh, esports content was probably when I wrote my final paper for my uh, my junior year modern Korean history class at Harvard in 2008 uh, because I wrote it on um, uh, like factionalism in Korean political history and how it relates to Korean people playing uh, massively multiplayer online games so I which is kind of funny like I I did a bunch of research on like how what kind of games are really popular in um, in in the east versus the west and uh, how how does that relate to sort of the way Korean culture and history as I learned it in that class actually worked and uh, I talked a little bit about Starcraft there as well Um, and then I then I went to Korea to study abroad and that's what really kind of kick-started um, my entry into the scene where I was basically going to um, these live esports events in Korea like five days a week. I would take pictures. I would go and um, and say hello to the players after the games and I would go home and do these write-ups on this uh, fan site called SC2GG. Um, and yeah, that and, and then I ended up uh, writing for Gravity Gaming and then Fnatic and uh, doing some doing some paid blogging and even writing an op-ed for the Harvard Crimson about the Collegiate Star League. Uh, so yeah, this was back like 2008, 2009. So yeah, it wasn't so much that I was like a volunteer. You know, there wasn't anyone out there who was like, hey, is there anyone who was like studying abroad in Korea and wants to write about what's going on there? You'd be it surprised was... how often that happens, actually. Really? Yeah. For, especially for like esports wikis and, you know, he's kind of... Sites that depend on volunteers to right. contribute there. Well, so back in 2008, there wasn't really anybody asking for that kind of thing, but I just felt very compelled to write about my experiences. And so that's sort of how people, uh, that's how I kind of got a foothold and how people started recognizing me in the scene. So yeah, journalism all the way. Right. And I mean, you. And I think it, wait, I think it should be noted that Christina, uh, interesting note about Christina, I think we've mentioned before on the podcast, but just to mention again, uh, Christina was actually the first person to pitch esports to one of our bosses, uh, who currently currently oversees a lot of our work, Dan Kaufman. So I think that's actually like hilarious that you know you like you went from that point of just like the giddy the giddy Harvard graduate that really enjoyed esports from a passion perspective, pitched it to an ESPN uh, or yeah, pitched it to an ESPN employee and, and or an ESPN or in the esports department. So. Yeah, uh, that that is actually a pretty funny story because at that point, Dan Kaufman, who is um, senior deputy editor of uh, ESPN Esports, among other things, he was at the CBS College Sports Network. And um, I basically cold emailed him and I was like, hey, I'm really interested in collegiate esports, which is uh, collegiate video gaming um, as a as a competitive and spectator sport. Can I talk to you about getting this on television? And so we had a phone call and 
uh, yeah, this is back like 2008, 2009, and he really had no idea what I was talking about. So we had a very pleasant conversation, but nothing actually happened. But I mean, he must have been pretty accepting. Like, there was a huge audience for it at the time, right? Well, no. Oh, okay. I mean, like, <laughs> the right. Collegiate Star League was really just starting. Um, I don't know what was going on with TESPA at that point, but maybe that was in the early early days, too. So, like, people, this was just not something that people knew about or, or really talked about at all. So it was completely understandable that Dan was just like, I, sorry, I, I just, I just don't understand like competitive video games on television. What is this? this look is... at how far we've come. And today. look at how far we've come. So I feel, I feel personally very vindicated. <laughs> um, yeah, Christina was the bug in the ear. Yes, exactly. So. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about what kind of advice we would give to aspiring journalists who are, who want to have a career in esports today. And Jacob, why don't you kick it off? Um, so you, are you thinking like advice or are you thinking, uh, honestly, from an advice perspective, I think it really matters. Uh, and I, I got to speak to a group of college students last week at University of Massachusetts Lowell. And one of the best things I could suggest to them, esports or not, uh, is to kind of write when you're in school, especially if you're studying journalism, to kind of build your portfolio, because I feel like that's the time when people can afford to write for free or write for very little, like a freelancer, like, per-piece basis. Um, because I think it's really important to, like, you know, have the portfolio and, and the degree to kind of come out and look look for the job and apply for the job. Um, and I think portfolio matters so much in esports because there's so many people that like to do the exact same thing um, or the exact same style of content throughout similar games that sticking out is extremely difficult. So I think it's very important uh, that you find something that's unique to you and also build a portfolio of doing that thing. Right. And I think we live in a day and age where a lot of these content creators are so accessible online and most of the esports audience is on Twitter. So, I mean, like, even if you post your story and it doesn't get a lot of traction at first, you will eventually build up an audience. And I mean, I feel like that's how I initially got noticed. So, yeah, my, my thing was, like, my uniqueness was that I went from, like, interest in wanting to know things, like, behind the scenes, and, like, obviously started learning how to accumulate that information and print it, and kind of, like, the fact that I, I did have an editor, but I didn't have, like, a full news desk like we do now, where, like, I could basically hash out news and have someone to go over it with me and make sure they were comfortable with printing it. That didn't really exist. Um, so it... It was one of those things where, like, I had to learn gut feelings, but my uniqueness was basically being able to provide news, and that was that was what made it, you know, made me different from everybody else that was trying to be a content creator in esports. Yeah, for sure. And I, yeah, I should probably clarify my earlier statement. Um, there's definitely a difference between like personalities in esports and content creators, and even though those two fields are becoming increasingly intertwined nowadays, um, it's important to just like create content and be prolific and. Figure out what you want to write about, features, reporting, or news, and just write every single day. Yeah, the and I, I think your I think your outward profile too. Just one little thing to add to that. I think your outward profile when you're writing, like you just have to be active as well. I, I know a lot of content creators who are really, really great, and I've worked with content creators who are some of the best writers I've ever met. Uh, especially within the esports field, they're fantastic. Uh, but they oftentimes don't put themselves out there on social media very much. I think that's just as important, uh, especially in our current kind of job field. Christina? 
Yeah. Um, when I look at esports now, there's just such an abundance of interesting stories all the time happening. And uh, so when people ask me about advice for, for getting into esports journalism, um, one of the things I tell them is just, you know, keep your keep your eyes and ears open because every like every other hour, somebody's writing a tweet longer about how you know, like a team screwed them over uh, in, in in their like pro player contract or, you know, um, some you know, some tournament is like uh, in is like hitting some sort of um like viewership record for whatever area or uh or just like things are happening that nobody's ever even seen before there's so many firsts in uh happening in esports all the time that really deserve to be covered so i think um a big part of of getting into uh esports journalism is also just um is also just like not only reading what everybody else has done but having the uh I don't know if I want to call it courage or imagination or the confidence to look beyond just the the stuff that everybody else is doing, look beyond sort of your run-of-the-mill profile or recap or something and think about like, all right, here's here's something that's kind of new and different and how and and why does this matter and um and how could this change what people think of as esports i think that's that kind of imagination is very important for sure be unconventional and um i think i think um our boss uh darren Klinsky, uh actually said he said something to me uh, several different times when we've had these kind of conversations but i think it's important and what he says is it's important to be a journalist first um before you like specialize in the esports field it's all about like it's not much different from being a sports reporter at the end of the day, especially when uh, the higher you go up the level, right? The higher you or the more you gain in certain employment. And, uh, you know, when you end up at somewhere like ESPN or like dot esports or places that I've worked before, it's just about being a sports journalist, but it's just within the esports realm. Like the, the content is very similar to everything else that's covered and everything else. So I think it's, I think it's very important just to be a, just to be a journalist All right. and be a journalist at heart. Well, for more esports content, you can check out ESPN.com slash esports. We're going to take a short break right now, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about esports pieces that have really inspired us. And we're back with the ESPN and we're back with the ESPN esports podcast. Um, earlier today, I asked you guys to send me one piece that really inspired you and one piece that sort of made you want to come into esports um, on the editorial side of things, of course. And, um, Christina, do you want to talk a little bit about the piece that you sent me? Sure. So uh, well, the piece that I want to talk about is uh, Mina Kimes' uh, Faker, the Unkillable Demon King piece that she actually wrote for ESPN. Uh, I, When I first read it, of course, I was not actually at ESPN. Um, this was like some time before that. Um, and uh, I mean... Uh, I wouldn't say necessarily that this piece inspired me to get into esports journalism because I'd already been doing that for a little while, but it definitely reignited my interest in the field after working in game development in San Francisco for a long time. So um, this was a piece. So I, you know, I knew a lot about the early days of StarCraft and was maybe a little bit jaded about that, but I actually didn't know that much about League of Legends. Um, so uh, reading. Um, the Unkillable Demon King and reading about this, uh, this like the team dynamic of a team game as opposed to StarCraft, which is largely a one v one game, but there are still teams. Um, and and reading about how Faker fit into that and how much of a rock star he is, 
following in the footsteps of people like Boxer and Flash and Jadong, um, and just and getting that getting that look into um, not just him playing the game, but just everything around that, like how his aunt, you know, said like he's the pride and joy of our family, and how different that is from uh, from like not very many years ago when that's not really a thing that you would say in Korea. Probably still not very much a thing that you would say in Korea. Mm-hmm. Um but um uh but yeah that uh, her look at this scene from the perspective of somebody who's looking for like a human interest story and not just like a hardcore uh gaming story. Um that that really inspired me because so much of my focus and so much of what I care about is bringing esports and making it uh, comprehensible and interesting to the wider world. Yeah, and I remember when that piece first came out. At that time, Faker was already like a superstar. So I initially came into it like, okay, what am I going to learn from this piece that I don't already know? And it was a great piece because I think it's one of those pieces that resonates with casual like non-esports fans and esports fans because you genuinely do learn a lot about these really like intimate family dynamics and team dynamics that make you look at him in a different light in a way. Jacob, what do you and think? Honestly, for me, that story, um, it wasn't what inspired me to be in esports journalism because I had already been in it for about a year when that was released. What that story did for me was actually inspire me to want to be at ESPN. Um, and I got to know Mina uh, a fair amount, actually, after that story, and uh, eventually got to meet, you know, a lot of the people we work with today. So, you know, I think that story has a special place kind of for all of us. Yeah, for sure. Um, We always joke about how that's the story that launched an entire vertical, and I think that is, there's some truth to that. Um, One story I wanted to share with everyone is Good Game by Ben McGrath, which is about Scarlet from StarCraft Two. And it's a story in The New Yorker that came out in um, 2014, I believe. And what I liked about this story was that um, Ben McGrath, he's just like this average Joe Schmo who doesn't really know what esports is, but embraces it for what it is in all its grandeur. And I remember at that time, there was a lot of just like preachy outlets that kind of judged esports based on the very stereotypical game game stereotype, which is like, hey, all these gamers are probably just, like, in their basements um, playing games and eating Doritos all day. Um, so when I read this piece, I was pleasantly surprised. And um, these are this is, like, one of those rare pieces. It's 10,000 words. So um, it's if you do check it out, it's sit down and take some time out of your day to, like, um, to read it. But it wasn't a piece that pandered to an audience, and it wasn't, like, sensationalistic. It was just trying to be honest about what esports looks like for an outsider and it talked to it was it painted scarlet in this light that i'd honestly really never seen her in which is she is just this prodigy who wants to play and i feel like everyone wants to put the symbolic significance on her but at the end of the day she's just a really fierce competitor yeah i agree uh i mean actually for me scarlet was always just kind of this you know this very very strong like non-korean player who like kind of surprised everyone and was you know played really awesome and then um yeah i actually met her at uh ipl i i think that was that was 2012 um and she was like really shy and i was like oh wow like 
this very powerful StarCraft player and this very, like, kind of skinny, shy girl. That's interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I also really like the way that article handled um, some pretty nuanced uh, facts and, and material very gracefully. Definitely, as you said, like, not sensationalizing it. Um, and uh, it also... Uh, you know, in contrast to Mina Kimes's piece, right? It had it, it's Scarlet's Canadian, and you know this is in the New Yorker, and it's and it's looking at also at you know the the scene in the West and in America especially, and has that sort of Western flavor to it. So I thought that so, um, uh, and I think in some ways looking at like the the StarCraft scene, especially in in the West outside of Korea, is really fascinating because uh, especially like back in the Brood War days people weren't really paying attention in the same way as like Korea with their 24 hour 24 seven um, esports TV stations. Yeah, for sure. I'm actually really surprised that the New Yorker put out an article like that because they're not really known for esports. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was great to see. Um, Jacob, why don't you talk a little bit about the story that you sent us? Uh, so the story I sent you has a significance in my career, but it also, uh, I didn't send my actual piece. I sent the other person who wrote uh, a very similar piece because that has more significance to me than what I wrote myself. Yeah, uh, sure. So for, re- for reference, the story I sent was uh, Richard Lewis's report on Corey and Meteor Makers and verbal abuse and the horrendous, you know, infamous situation in League of Legends that occurred after all of that. Um, so Richard and I were, were reporting that story at two different sites when it first came out um, and when everything had happened. And, and just so much significance, it really opened my eyes. I had done a few small reports before then. Uh, but that, but him publishing uh, before me, actually, uh, taught me a lot of things. It, it taught me about the competitive nature of being in a news cycle and how important that is. Um, and it also taught me about... Um, just kind of the, I, w- I wouldn't say the dark side of esports, but the scary side of esports. It's not something that you really think about, you know, a, a older man who's a manager being a, like, verbally abusing a teenager. Um, and it, so it, it really did kind of change my perspective on the industry, and it also made me a more fierce competitor as a reporter and really showed me comp- the, a competitive drive that I was unfamiliar with myself. Um and, yeah, I mean, that story, Richard's reporting in that showed me um, basically, you know, the responsibility of a reporter. Uh, I, when I was going to publish my version of the story, I was not going to release the audio logs that were uh, leaked from Corey's phone. Um, Richard did. Uh, Richard published every single one of them, which proved every single point. Uh, my story had referenced it. He, he just put a SoundCloud link with all of them in there, which was really gutsy, uh, but also really impressive um, to me. So it, it really, it made me motivated to to be the way I am. And, um, yeah, I have a lot to thank for that story, and, and not only just because of what it did for me as a writer on my own, but for somebody else doing it before me. Right. So for those who don't have context, basically the story revolved around this, story, uh, this player called Corey, and um, he was basically being... Um, threatened by his manager and his manager said all these ridiculous things about taking away his mother's house. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Jacob. Um, So yeah, when that story came out, it was just very shocking to the league community since we don't really see stories like that very often. 
And there was about MYM, too. And, you know, MYM has been around for a long, long time and is not... You know, I mean, these esports organizations that have been around forever, it's not exactly that they're, like, super reputable because all esports organizations, when they've been around forever, they've done, you know, some interesting things. But still, it's like MYM's a name. Yeah, for sure. I think it just really opened up the eye to a lot of people. It, it's something that's never, ever happened again in League of Legends. And I think, uh, or at least on that level, so I think, in a way, it bettered the community significantly. Um, but I, I also think it showed people kind of the, side of esports that had existed for a while but nobody had really addressed and it made it a norm in journalism especially in esports journalism to come out with that it made it almost empowered players that if they, if they were in similar situations where they were being abused uh to come out and talk about it. for sure so it, i think it's a very monumental story for the league of legends hey jacob whatever happened after the story got published do you remember uh, yeah, they got fined, I want to say 5,000 euro, uh, Meet Your Makers did, uh, Corey was not required to play for the team any longer, although he came back and honored his contract, um, with them and left after the split, uh, but they got fined 5,000 euro, and then, uh, I want to say his name was Sebastian, the, the manager that, uh, had verbally abused him, uh, essentially was expunged from the league forever, uh, he is never allowed to return to the League of Legends Championship Series, so. There, I'm... Correct me if I'm wrong, but this uh, it reminded me a little bit of what happened with Badawi and uh, Romilia, as far as like uh, verbal abuse goes. Or is that is is that totally off base? Um, in a way, I, I think some of that. I mean, Riot never came out and talked about a lot of that, but I mean, we did, and uh, and our report about that. So yeah, in a way, sort of. Um, Badawi wasn't making those similar kind of threats about like well-being and houses and things of the sort. But, yeah, uh, it definitely set a precedent for for people who um, basically had disagreements with players and took it the extra level of threats instead of just being, uh, disagreeing with someone. All right, well, so. um, we're all out of time, but thank you, Jacob and Christina, for joining me and talking about your favorite content in esports yeah it's been really fun and i am glad that i will continue to be in esports very excited for for the next thing and thank you michael for making the podcast happen um for more esports coverage you can check out espn.com slash esports or you can follow us on twitter at espn underscore esports at rachel youngu at pina sc and at jacob n wool thanks for listening to the espn esports podcast for more great